For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A couple episodes ago, we called on scientists to genetically engineer a vegan cat for the sake of all the songbirds out there. Unfortunately, that one's going to remain a fantasy. Scientists have long known that cats are obligate carnivores, meaning they have no alternative to eating meat. Without the vitamins, amino acids, and fatty acids in animal tissue, felines will lose their eyesight, shed their hair, lose the ability to clot blood, and fight off infections. They'll suffer brain damage, pretty soon die. I'm no fan of cats, but I don't wish that on them. However, in a recent study, that all Snorticus has been working to suppress, researchers found that, quote, the healthiest and least hazardous dietary choices for dogs are nutritionally sound vegan diets. We'll dive into the study in a moment, but first, some background. Although dogs are passionately devoted to carnivores, they are not obligate carnivores the way cats are, and human beings are the reason. About 40,000 years ago, Homo sapiens in Europe began a shifting away from so-called hypercarnivory and began to incorporate more and more plants into their diet. Then, around 16,000 years ago, the first intentional dog breeding began. Humans started selecting for genetic traits that had already started to separate the canines following human migrations from the wolves. The wolves may have been seeing into a future where miniature pugs wear sunflower hats and decided to keep their distance. We'll never know. Walt Disney Pictures presents <gasps> Beverly Hills Chihuahua. One of the genetic signatures that scientists use to determine the age of this split is the mutation that allows dogs to digest starches and vegetables in a way wolves cannot. 
So, Snort, I'm sorry to say that this new study does have a leg to stand on. However, the paper in question doesn't have me convinced to switch all Snort to tofu and kale just yet. Here's the problems with this so-called study. It was funded by an outfit named ProVeg, a vegan lobbying group that aims to reduce the global consumption of animals by 50% by the year 2040. Strike two, the study was based on survey answers from participants rather than direct lab trials. No pun intended. I don't know about you, but I always answer a questionnaire to make myself look a little bit better, 40% or so, than I really am. And strike three, controlling for age, weight, and other factors, the study also found that a raw meat diet and a vegan diet were about the same. However, both were better than conventional dog food. So at least one thing we can take from this, maybe toss the dog a few more scraps and dial back the food from a bag when possible. If you don't want that corn cob, lettuce stump, or all those little eyes you gouge out of a potato, I know someone who definitely, definitely does. Chihuahua! This week, we've got more land access initiative, egg-sucking bobcats, and earthy house moms who deplete white sage. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. If you were watching the old uh, Meat Eater YouTube channel, you may have caught an episode of Cow in the Field, where I get my butt kicked diving for white sea bass. Well, right now, I'm out diving for them again. I may, in fact, be getting my butt kicked again, but this time around, I convinced my friends Kimmy Werner and Justin Turkowski to come down and join a local white sea bass obsessive, Mike Rabe, and myself. With this crew, we're definitely going to put some sort of meat on the table. It is, of course, my first diving session of the year, breaking out from landlocked Montana. And speaking of landlocked, Help us open up landlocked public land to the public by checking out the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative found at TheMeatEater.com where you can submit properties that may need an easement or an outright purchase in order to permanently provide access to our shared heritage of public lands. Now, here are a few examples of reasons for this program. First one's an oddball. Designated wilderness areas are public land that are free for non-residents to utilize much of the year. However, requiring a resident guide for non-residents to hunt that public land is potentially more absurd than the battle to allow Sunday hunting in my home state of Pennsylvania. Seasonal restrictive access on public land based upon residency creates perhaps the biggest legislative-driven access issue in the country. That person is referring to, of course, Wyoming, where the state of Wyoming somehow is getting away with preventing non-residents who draw tags in that state to hunt designated wilderness areas, which I agree is absolutely ridiculous. Every day I watch beautiful wildlife habitat get turned into slabs of concrete and homes all across Florida, and I need to try and help preserve some parts of natural Florida. The Tampa Bay area is one of the fastest growing areas in the entire country, and development continues to spread well beyond the immediate areas of Tampa, which has continued to fracture Florida's shrinking wildlife corridor. Two large tracts of public lands, Citrus Wildlife Management Area and Croom Wildlife Management Area, are each areas of concern, along with a couple smaller tracts of preserved lands in between. As, quote, progress bulldozes its way towards this frail and narrow section of the Florida Wildlife Corridor, many developers are rapidly consuming the wildlife habitat on Florida's, quote, nature coast. 
Development is inevitable and it will happen in the rural areas near this wildlife corridor, but we must preserve as much as we can to keep the Florida Wildlife Corridor intact and keep Florida's nature coast the nature coast. Developers have been trying to get property rezoned for years to cram a thousand cookie cutter homes in this rural part of Hernando County. I do not feel we can hold them off for much longer. There is shady stuff going on between the developer and the current dairy farm owners. Maybe you can buy this land to keep it in part of the wildlife corridor. Maybe you can help get it rezoned into one acre lots with room for wildlife to pass in between the homes instead of another wall of concrete. There are no large neighborhoods like the Thousand Home Plan in the rural Brooksville area, and it gets rezoned from agriculture land to tiny residential lots, then other areas nearby would quickly sell to developers, fragmenting and destroying the already thin wildlife corridor in irreversible ways. Now is the time to act on these properties before they're on the chopping block and greedy developers come in offering more money to turn prime wildlife areas into giant slabs of concrete. Texas is big on private property but small on public land. We have a growing population with little to no access to roam for hunting. I would like to see the U.S. Forest Service General LBJ National Grasslands grow in access and land mass to provide more hunting opportunities to those who want to provide meat to their families without having to bump into another hunter. LBJ is increasingly becoming more crowded with horseback riders and hikers, bumping game and harassing hunters, so having more units restrictly for hunting would be ideal. There is a rumor going around that horse groups are pushing for more trails in hunting units. Hunting rules and regulations point out that we have to be 150 yards away from any marked trail, road, or structure. This 150-yard rule puts hunters on tiny little islands to hunt in units that share land with riders and hikers. I stumbled upon this piece of land while searching for pronghorn units in Wyoming. It is about 15,300 acres of landlocked public land. It's a mix of state, BLM, and national grasslands in one location. It's accessible via corner crossing, but we are still unsure what will come from that in this state. And in another, it misses a public road by 250 yards. It also nearly connects to another accessible piece of BLM by 700 yards. I'm not positive, but I think this could be an easy piece of land to get access to and open up a large amount of public land. I grew up in Jackson, New Jersey, and they are taking so much beautiful land away to build homes, draining lakes, all stuff that needs to be stopped. Jackson is filled with deer and great fishing. If they keep building these homes, when I have kids, they will never know what the town was truly like. It is a great place to hunt for deer, waterfowl, fish, and upland bird hunting, but it has been made inaccessible except by the stream access law. This property has been closed off by sprawling subdivisions and small ranches owned by people who either don't like hunting and fishing or want the public land just for themselves. It is becoming all too common in the Bozeman area, as I'm sure you are aware of. It seems that you have to drive further from Bozeman every year to get any conflict-free hunting, and I'm sure this prevents many people with limited time or those who are just getting into hunting from going out and enjoying it. I grew up hunting and fishing on this amazing piece of state forest land. Unfortunately, when the surrounding land sold, the new owners put a gate across the township road about 400 feet from the previous parking area. 
This land is an amazing stretch of big woods in the Root River Valley. The views are amazing, and so is the hunting and fishing. Those are just examples from one round of submissions to the Land Access Initiative. They're coming in from all across the country. And just like I'm sure you are, these folks are passionate about access to public lands, and they're seeing stuff go away fast. So let's get on it, raise some money, and provide more access. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying, if I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Moving on, smudge stick poachers are doing a number on the native white sage of Southern California, according to a recent report in the Los Angeles Times. If you're wondering what a smudge stick is, you haven't been spending enough time on social media. Smudge sticks are small bundles of white sage that members of native tribes have used for thousands of years for spiritual and medicinal purposes. The sage is burned slowly, and the smoke is spread across a room or a person to purify them from evil spirits and energy. The plant is also used for shampoos, calming teas, and as an antibiotic. 
Unfortunately, over the last several years, sage stick smudging has become a global phenomenon. You may have seen celebrities use smudge sticks on movies and TV shows, and a quick search on Instagram pulls up thousands of photos and videos, all with captions promising to cleanse your home of bad energy and get you in that next big pay raise. For a while, Urban Outfitters and Anthropology, two of my favorite clothing stores until they told me that I couldn't get my jeans any skinnier. Excuse me, do these effectively hide my thunder? Both of those outfits sold smudge stick kits that included white sage. The problem is with the smudge stick boom, just like youth sports, opinionated wealthy moms got involved and ruined it. White sage is limited to Southern California and Northern Baja. It's the only places in the world where white sage grows naturally. Inspired by the social media trend, white sage poachers have descended in droves and members of the native tribes are concerned that plants won't survive in the wild much longer. There's all kinds of areas where white sage was growing that have now been decimated. Teresa Romero, the environmental director of the Santa Inez Band of Chumash, told the LA Times, White sage is not officially threatened or endangered, but members of native tribes don't like where things are headed. Poachers target preserves with ideal white sage habitat like the North Etnwanda Preserve near San Bernardino. They hike in at night with big duffel bags, cut the tops off of plants, and leave with 70 to 100 pounds of sage. These poaching outfits make a pretty penny. Wholesale prices range between $30 and $60 a pound, so one big duffel bag could be worth as much as $6,000. Sage poachers don't just disrespect a culturally important plant to native tribes, they also hurt the ecosystem. White sage is a cornerstone species of the coastal sage scrub habitat in Southern California, and it's an important food source for a wide array of animals. Bees, butterflies, and hummingbirds eat the nectar, not just Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, what's in the box? Small mammals, sparrows, grouse, and quail eat the seeds, and deer, antelope, elk, and mountain sheep browse on the plant itself. As with most poaching issues, conservationists are trying to address both the supply and demand side. Nature preserve managers are working to stop poachers, and groups like the California Native Plant Society are working to educate the public about the white sage crisis. They encourage smudge stick users to purchase sage from sustainable farmers or to grow their own at home. It might be more expensive or less convenient than ordering from Amazon, but that will help dry up the market for poached sage and hopefully ensure that the unique white sage habitat survives for years to come. Shut down your Etsy page, mom. Next up, the squirrel desk. Some of you might remember the inconvenient squirrel from episode 128, who made a habit of filling a man's red Chevy pickup with walnuts every fall. Well, a listener named Sean Wohler recently wrote in to tell me about another inconvenient squirrel. This one nearly got someone killed. Wohler is an engineer for a fire department in the St. Louis area, and he got a call last week about a car on the side of the road engulfed in flames. The driver appeared to be unharmed when they arrived at the scene, but as they were extinguishing the fire, the driver said something to Wohler that made him do a double take. I heard the, the car owner say something like, sir, he, he was all burnt up. I pulled him off to the side of the road, but I think he's still alive. He needs help. And obviously that got, got my attention. I had no idea what he was talking about. Wohler soon realized that the burn victim wasn't a person, but a small gray squirrel. The fire truck engineer isn't a squirrel biologist, but it was obvious to him that the little guy wasn't going to make it. He said the burns looked like third-degree burns on a person, so he took the animal from the driver and put it out of its misery. 
Wohler had listened to episode 128, and when he told his captain about the inconvenient squirrel in North Dakota, they quickly worked out what happened. The car was almost entirely burnt up by the time they got there, but it looked like the squirrel had built a nest near the top of the motor on one of the exhaust manifolds. The driver said the car hadn't been driven in a while, which gave the animal enough time to build the nest. Once the car had stopped and caught fire, the squirrel managed to escape and crawl out towards the driver, but not before sustaining some pretty serious burns. The little thing was just, it was hanging on to his arms like it, like it didn't want to let go. So you tell he was pretty, pretty moved and broken up about this. I think Wohler spoke for all squirrel hunters when he told me that even though he enjoys squirrel hunting with his son, he hates to see a squirrel in such bad shape. The story might be a total downer, but it's not quite over. While Wohler and his team were extinguishing the fire, the driver found another little gray squirrel running around the road near the scene. This one was also singed, but was in much better shape than the first. The fireman, who works in Wohler's truck, knew about a wildlife rehabilitation center nearby, and the driver decided to take the animal in. Wohler doesn't know whether the squirrel survived, but he said it looked like it was okay when it left. I asked Wohler whether he's run across any other arsonist squirrels. He said he's never dealt with a car before, but he did hear about a squirrel that got caught in a transformer on a power line. When the charred body fell to the ground, it started a 20-acre brush fire. Bottom line, if you leave your car parked outside for a few days, be sure to check the engine bay for a squirrel nest. And here's a fun fact for you. A squirrel nest is actually called a dray. A dray could also be the nest of a flying squirrel or a ringtail possum. On top of that, I really gotta say to the driver, you are a nice human being. Good on you. You're not concerned about your car melting down on the side of the road, but you are concerned about a singed gray squirrel enough to take him to an animal rehab facility anyway. Good job to the first responders as well. Moving on. Biologists from the U.S. Geological Survey captured footage of a native bobcat feasting on the eggs of an invasive Burmese python. Longtime listeners will recall our near-pathological coverage of the python's devastating effects in Florida and the various attempts to control them. Everything from Truman the Sniffing Dog to Judas Snakes to the Python Bowl Hunting Competition to high-fashion handbags have been engaged in knocking back the python situation in Florida. But, what if one of the Everglades' own native species started adapting to the new animal on the landscape? In June of last year, scientists studying python reproduction set up a camera trap near one of the snake's nests in the Big Cypress National Preserve west of Miami. To their surprise, the footage revealed a 20-pound bobcat repeatedly visiting the untended nest, investigating, sniffing, feeding, and even burying the eggs for safekeeping, a behavior known as caching. Even when Mama Python returned to sit on the nest, the bobcat didn't give up, not only prowling nearby, but even trading several swipes with the snake and living to tell the tale, or at least living to show up on the camera again. By the end of the raid, 42 of the 64 eggs had been destroyed and none of the remaining eggs hatched when scientists brought them back to the lab and incubated them. The devastation was so complete that the footage ends with a possum and a hispid cotton rat two species that pythons eat like peanuts, crisscrossing over the nest in what almost looks like a victory dance. There's every reason to hope that python eggs become a staple of the Florida bobcat's diet. A feline who's thrived on the eggs of ground-nesting birds is perfectly suited to find and eat the eggs of ground-nesting snakes. Pythons also do not eat when they sit on their eggs, 
a behavior known as brooding time anorexia. They can defend a nest, but they're not likely to kill predators, which could be the reason the cat survived in this video. However, our python problem is not solved yet. Estimates put the number of pythons about equal to the number of bobcats in Florida, which seems even, but the most fertile bobcat only has about 20 kittens a year, while the average python lays about 100 eggs a year. Pythons can also thrive over a much wider range of Florida habitats, and if you are a hispid cotton rat listening to the show, it's kind of like a preseason ball game. You don't really care who wins, you just know the outcomes are going to affect you equally. Still, it's encouraging to see at least some Floridians effectively combating these snakes. From the heart of Bozeman, Montana, and on behalf of my Uncle Mike, Cal Callahan, who played on the 1984 National Championship team and still has a luscious head of hair, go Bobcats. <laughs> That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. And if you've noticed that your woods are starting to look pretty poor, you should probably go pick up a brand new steel chainsaw. Start by heading to www.steeldealers.com to find a local, knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll be happy to see you. They'll set you up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.